Um, okay, so the Lord um, put something on my heart. At every week he's convicting me personally about stuff. And so uh, last week, does anybody remember anything that Sue and I talked about? Does anybody remember? Well, uh, God put something on mine and Sue's heart. Sue's not, there's several people here today, and Jeff and Sue are not here, but um, God put some stuff on mine and Sue's heart, and what it has to do with is look at your inner self. We always focus on we need to look what our spouse is doing, what our friend's doing, what our neighbor's doing, but God's saying he's coming back for his people and his bride, and his bride is us, and we have to be cleaned up and ready for his return. So he's telling us to look inward at ourselves, at what we need to deal with and clean ourselves up with, whatever that means. If you've got a lot of anxiety and fear, you've got to give that over to the Lord, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this week... Um, he said, you've quit speaking the word over yourself and over your kids like you used to. So God's word says it's what? It's sharper than what? Any two-edged sword, okay? So we go, what, what's the two edges? Does anybody know what the two edges are? Parker, you can answer it. We've already talked about this. <laughs> Okay, hold on. I wanted somebody else to answer. Does anybody else know? Does anybody else know? Okay, so Parker said it. One of the pieces of the sword is God and his spoken word. Does anybody know what the second part is? Okay, Parker. It's us. Okay. Wow, kind of cool. He gave us a job to do too, okay? So we can read the word and we absorb the word in here and in here, but part of the job is is to actually speak the word out. Why do we do that? Why do we need to do that? Why did God tell us to do that? Because when we speak the word out, it transforms what's going on outside here in the natural realm and in the spiritual realm above us to where we can't see where God is okay God's if God's word says it's sharper than any two-edged sword it says it cuts to the bone to the marrow to stuff we can't see so God just gave me something that I'd spoke about probably a year or so ago there's this lady she goes around speaking she's very intelligent very smart God allows her as a believer to get into Yale and all these big-name schools to speak, and she uses her science to get into those places, but that's where she tells stories about the Lord and what God's Word does. So one of the science experiments she does, her name's Caroline Leaf, if you want to look her up. She's really cool lady to listen to. She's from, like, Ireland, England, so she's got that cool accent. But what's cool is, is she gets two plants, same kind of plant, same size, same everything, okay? She puts them both in the window, same sunlight, gives them the same amount of water, same amount of, you know, um, plant food, all that good stuff, okay? But here's what's crazy. One of them, she speaks curses over. What do I mean by that? I don't mean a cuss word. But like, oh, you're ugly, your leaves are brown, you're going to wither, blah, 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 blah. Okay? Then the other one, so they're right side by side, 
She pets it and she talks to it like it's a person. You're beautiful, your leaves are wonderful, and she speaks the word of God. These are plants, okay? Think about this. Doesn't have a soul, doesn't have a spirit, it's a plant. One starts withering and dying, and the other one grows to be bigger and better than it normally would. It's beautiful, okay? One, she played bad, yucky music up to the plant. The other one, she played godly music. That's a plant. So she does a video about this. I don't know if you can find it. You can try to look it up. Anyway, I'm saying all this to say if God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword, we just read it and hold it in here and in here. That's all great and good because we need to do that because that transforms our thoughts. But we got to also do our part to speak it out because that's what's going to transform what's going on in your workplace, in your life. So if you've um, ever thought when you lay hands on somebody, pray over them, obviously you don't have to touch them for that person to get healed because you're not the one healing them anyway, God is. But when you speak the word of God over somebody, it starts transforming what their thoughts are thinking, what their soul has been taught. So this week, my challenge is to you is to find a scripture. God told me, I think I'd have to look this back up, but I think it was Proverbs. Peyton, do you remember 104? Do you boys remember what I read over you this week? I think it's Proverbs 104. Uh, anyway, I can. it doesn't matter, but God said, speak the word of God over your kids again. And so that's going to do the job that needs to get done. We don't transform what's going on in this natural realm and spiritual realm. God is the one that does that, and his word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is powerful. So this week I challenge moms and dads, you don't even have to be with your kids. You don't have to be with, you can be in the car during a work break. Find some scripture and claim it over your life and your family this week. Say, today, in the name of Jesus, I claim blah, 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 whatever scripture. Say, God, this is your word, and you tell me to do it, and it's going to change what's going on in the atmosphere around me. And it also lets the enemy know you mean business and who you are because you're a child of God and that's what you're going to stand on is the word of God. And he has to back off because he has no legal right to you unless you give it to him. So that lets the enemy know, hey, I'm a child of God and I'm speaking at the, out the word and guess what he has to do when you do that? He has to get on out in Jesus' name. He's scared of the word, okay, because he knows what it does. So that was one thing that I wanted to say today. And then we're going to do something as a church. We're going to try to start doing this every so often. We're going to speak out the word today. And we're going to start doing that because we're going to claim that here in the building and we're going to claim that over our families. So today, if everybody would do this with me, we're going to speak out scripture. You've got it? Okay. Um, 
So I'm going to just read this part, and then we're going to say the next part. But I would like for Peyton to come up here and say it because something that Peyton has started doing is God has put it on his heart when he wakes up every morning, he says scripture over himself, and when he goes to bed every night, he says scripture over himself. So I'm going to read this part, and then Peyton, if you'll come over here and do the rest of it after I get done, and you'll just, and everybody's going to repeat after uh, Peyton saying the next part of this. So it says, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all these commands, which is the most important? And then Jesus replied. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So find some scripture, and hey, if anybody comes up with any scripture that really has just blessed them, that'd be awesome if next Sunday or the Sunday after when we're back here, if you have scripture that you want to bring up here and read it out loud for us, that would be awesome. So, All right, you guys ready? So here's the good news. I'm going to be short today. Huh? I know. It's like I'm preaching at you, and I am. All right, so we're going to pick up, as most of you know, hey, and I want to brag on some new folks. We have new folks, and they don't want to be embarrassed right now, but they have been keeping up with the sermon series before they came here, and I just want to thank them. That is awesome. Thank you, and, and maybe I should give them $100. You want the $100? Go get it out of the offering. We're a different kind of church, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so we started this journey of what does it mean to be known by Jesus I want you to know Jesus I want you to know who he is I want you to accept him but I want to make sure that at the end of your life when you're standing in front of him he knows who you are so this scripture is what started all this looking at Matthew 7 it says on judgment day many of you will say to me Lord Lord we prophesied in your name we cast out demons in your name we perform many miracles in your name but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So again, I can't emphasize enough. This is about making sure that we all know what Jesus said before this because he's just given us a complete blueprint in the two and a half chapters before this of what it means to be known. So we're continuing to break that down. 
So two weeks ago, in case you don't remember, we finished up chapter 5. So it took us like two months to get through one chapter. We finished up chapter 5, and there were three main points. Anybody remember what those main points were? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That was one of them. You know, Jesus said, you know, the context was in their time, they gave different levels of yeses, which was kind of like us saying maybe. You know, they gave vows that they thought they could get out of. If they didn't swear to God, they swore on other things that meant they had a way out. So Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Just, just either say yes. Say yes, I'm going to do this, or no, I'm not going to do it. Don't change. If, if you're going to say yes, fulfill your promise, fulfill your vow. If you don't mean no, don't say no. Don't change your mind later because somebody manipulates your no into making you feel bad, so you got to go to a yes. You guys remember that now? If you say yes, do it. If you say no, don't do it. And I want to ask you, how many of you have been challenged by this over the last couple of weeks? How many of you have thought when you say yes to something, ooh, I better be ready to do this? I'm thankful to see a few hands. How many of you have been challenged when you said no? Oh, i got to stick to this no even when everybody makes me feel bad about it. Praise the Lord. Then he went on to talk about something a little tougher called turning the other cheek, as we would call it. In other words, don't seek revenge. Don't repay evil with evil. How many of you were challenged by that in the last two weeks? Then he finished up with this crazy thing of love your enemies. Love means to be kind and patient. And we can't even do that with the people that aren't our enemies. But Jesus is saying all these qualities of love you got to do to people you don't like. And then you got to pray for them. How many of you struggle with that this week? So last Sunday at the smoker, I had everyone think of that person and pray for them. Was it difficult? Yeah, it's hard. Nothing Jesus is asking us to do is easy. It's all difficult. It's okay to say, yes, it's difficult. They're hard things. Pretty much everything we talked about in chapter 5 required us to do the opposite of what our born-in desire is. Jesus pretty much said, everything you think you need to do, do it different. And that's the theme of this whole sermon, right? How many of you are watching The Chosen? Raise your hand if you're watching The Chosen. How many of you have completed season two? How, mu- how many of you are knee-deep in season two? So something really cool happened. About the time God laid it on my heart to start speaking about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus introduced the topic of the Sermon on the Mount and The Chosen. So I was like, okay, Lord, that's a weird confirmation, but I'll take it. I'm on the right path. And then he kind of goes through the whole season, really, or most of the season, preparing for what that sermon's going to be. And it gets to the final, and I'm not trying to blow, you know, blow it if you haven't seen the season finale, but the season finale ends with him walking out to do the sermon. You could unplug your ears, my call. But the night before, the day before the sermon, it shows Jesus and Matthew. And and again, this is a show. We don't know if it happened exactly like this. It's for the most part scripturally sound, but they have to ad-lib a lot. so, So bear with that as I talk about it. But the night before, the day before, it shows Jesus and Matthew. And they're off by themselves. And Jesus has taken Matthew because Matthew writes things down, right? Matthew would have actually been with him to write these things down. And Jesus, even though he's the Son of God, is a human. And guess what humans do? We practice sermons. 
sometimes in our minds, sometimes out loud, sometimes to the wall. And Jesus is kind of depicted doing the same thing, but he's trying to create this sermon. All the disciples are off trying to figure out how do we make sure security's there? How do we make sure we can feed all these people? How do we do all these logistical things? And Jesus has Matthew talking through the sermon. And then Matthew says to Jesus, Jesus, these are hard things. If I do the math on the good news versus the bad news, <laughs> there doesn't seem like there's a lot of good news. Do you really realize how difficult all these things are? We don't know if Matthew said this or not, but we could picture ourselves being there and saying, Jesus, do you realize you've done nothing but heal people and do good things, and now you're going to do the sermon, and there's not a lot of good news, Jesus. Do you realize how difficult it is? And Jesus' reply to him, again, fictitious in the chosen, but could absolutely have been said by what we know about Jesus. Jesus said, I am not here to be sentimental and soothing. I'm here to start a radical shift. So that's the question. Do you come to church because you want to be soothed? Do you come to church because you want it to be sentimental? Yes, there is some sentimental. There is some soothing. That's the blessings part. That's part of the worship that's getting prayed over. But Jesus came, if we're going to truly follow him, he came to make a radical shift in our thinking and the way our society works back then and now. I think he had a goal, and we're seeing this all through the Sermon on the Mount. I've got to change the way you naturally think. I've got to change the way you act. So I'm going to ask you guys a challenging question this morning. We're at the end of chapter 5. We finished that. Let's take an inventory. How are you guys doing? Are you challenging yourself to do the things that Jesus said? I'm not saying get it all perfect. I'm asking you, are you listening? Or is it going in one ear and out the other because it's the right thing to do to show up and listen? Are you doing something with it? My concern is that we've been conditioned to go to church and be entertained and just get through it so we can go eat. And sometimes we don't take to heart what Jesus is saying. And this is critical. This is about Jesus knowing you. I'm taking it serious. I'm asking my family to take it serious, and you guys are my family. I'm asking you to take it serious because I want you to have eternity. Here's the crazy thing. I was thinking about watching The Chosen, and I guess it just doesn't occur to me when I read it. We've got this Bible. I can go read this scripture anytime I want. I can go read the list of requirements and rules, not rules, but all the things that Jesus told me to change. I can read them anytime if I forget. We're processing through it, what, over two months? Probably going to take four or five months to get through it. These people heard it in one setting. He walked in and rocked their world and gave it all to them in one setting. So I'm going to challenge you this morning. This, I'm going I'm to be honest. Today's going to be a little bit of a tough one, okay? As Peyton would say, a little bit of a lead weight. If we can't take it in little pieces over two months, come on, guys. We've got to take this serious. These people had it in one setting. Jesus walked in and said, everything you're doing is wrong. Quit looking at people. Gouge your eye out. I mean, can you imagine what they would have thought? But we're getting it over time, and we can go back and reference this. Praise God, we have something different than them that we can go back. So I'm just challenging you. If you made it to this point, you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and read it. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Find a version that you can understand, like the New Living Translation that I read out of. And don't be religious and look for the things that Jesus wants you to change in your life. See, they didn't know he was about to die and be resurrected. 
Think about the crowd. Why did the crowd show up to hear Jesus? All they knew about Jesus was this man's a great teacher and he heals people. Put yourself in their shoes. This guy, Jesus, is going to go up on this mountain and talk. What do I get out of it? And they went, and Jesus turned it all around and said, this is what I need you to change. This isn't about your selfishness and what you get out. It's what you got to change, and that's the theme. If I were to sum up everything about what does it be ne- mean to be known by Jesus, at this point I would say it means you got to change the way you think. you got to change your heart from your selfish ways to what Jesus is asking you to do. All right. Everybody good and challenged and ready? Let's jump into chapter 6. It's only four verses today, but they're tough. Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Two things there. When you do good deeds, not if, when you do your good deeds, don't do it publicly to be admired by others. When you give to someone in need, don't do it bringing attention to yourself. Once again, the theme hasn't really changed. He's saying when you do something good for somebody, when you give to, give to someone in need, simply do it. You're doing it out of the goodness of your heart. Don't do it to be able to turn around and brag about it. It's about your heart. Did you give because that person was in need? Did you help because that person was in need? Or did you give and help so it would get you attention? So you would look good. And I think we have to look at our motives behind when we do things for people. Here's the good news. I challenged you, stepped on your toes a little bit. Now I'm going to encourage you. I don't know who all is going to watch this online, but for those that are here present in this room, I'm going to encourage you because I think most of you do really good at this. I don't see you guys doing good deeds and bragging about it. I don't see you giving and bragging about it, okay? So good job. Y'all are doing good. I want to encourage you. This isn't always saying you're doing everything wrong, right? You guys are doing something great. I think you're doing it with the right heart the right reasons, and don't let even the sermon mislead you to think you're not doing enough, okay? You ready for the but? I'm going to save that for a few minutes. The thing is, there are many out there that publicly brag about what they've done. Anybody think of anybody? Anybody come to mind? Every one of us can. Don't say it. Every one of us as soon as I say this about bragging about your good deeds publicly and bragging about your giving, every one of us has somebody that comes to mind, right? Every one of us do. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a church, maybe it's a group, maybe it's a ministry, maybe it's a nonprofit. And what I'm trying to tell to you is sometimes we see that and we start to feel guilty that we're not bragging about what we do. Don't let them seeking attention fool you into changing the thing you're good at, okay? I'm tempted by it. I see another church do something. They're bragging about it all over Facebook. And I'm like, oh, man, should we have done that? And then I realize, wait a second. That's not what Jesus talked about. He said, go do the good things and don't just go tell everybody about it, right? 
But wait a minute. Didn't we already discuss in the sermon that Jesus said, do your good deeds publicly so the Father gets credit? Isn't this confusing? Chapter 5, he said, do your good deeds publicly so God gets credit. Chapter 6, he says, don't talk about your good deeds. Does that seem conflicting? Be honest. Okay, I got a few head shakes no, and I got a few yes. Honestly, I know someone personally that leans on that do your good deeds in public for all to see to justify why they brag about everything. So hold on to that. Chapter 5, verse 16, he said, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Chapter 6, he says, Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. Let your good deeds shine. Don't let anybody see them. It's confusing. But I'm going to give you an example. Now remember that scripture said, Don't brag about what you do because you lose your heavenly reward. So I'm going to brag on someone else. I'm not going to brag on anything I've done. I'm going to brag on something Wendy's done. And I'm going to give you an example. Wendy and the boys are at Dollar General right up the road. There's a police officer in front of them in line. Wendy offers to buy whatever he's got. I don't know. He had a handful of snacks, something. Wendy offers to buy it, pays for it. That's a good deed. Praise over him. Thanks him for his service and all that. That's a good deed, right? She did that good deed publicly. She gave praise to f the Father. The cashier would have seen it. Maybe some people in line would have seen it. Our boys would have seen it. She did the deed publicly. However, she didn't come home and post it all over Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Rumble, whatever. John, what are all those conspiracy things? All those new websites. <laughs> I got you with Rumble, right? <laughs> So I think that's what Jesus is saying. Do your good deeds publicly, and, and God will have the people there that need to see it and be motivated, encouraged. Don't go brag about it. Because I think we get caught up in this mentality, and it's what church is guilty of. We get caught up in this mentality that we've got to reach these great numbers, and it's huge. And sometimes God says, I just want one person to see it, one person to be motivated, one person. And maybe that one person's the cashier in that example. I'm going to give you another example. Last night, we go to eat at the gondolier in Lenore City. Our waitress is working her tail off, and she's obviously from the Middle East. And Wendy strikes up a conversation with her. We find out she's from Yemen. Her family is trying to migrate to the United States. She says, we're trying to do it the right way, and it's hard. we got to have patience. For example, me and my sister are here, but my mom is not. And Wendy said, can I pray for you? And she said, yes, I would love that. We have no idea if she's a Muslim. That would be the assumption, right? We have no idea if she's a Christian. We have no idea anything. And Wendy prays for her and prays for Jesus to bless her. And she's standing there going, thank you. You don't know what this means. And she walks off. And remember that do your deed publicly so God gets credit? Somebody's sitting in a booth right on the other side of us, turns around and gives Wendy a fist bump and said, thank you for doing that. Again, we didn't post it all over Facebook, and I know I'm walking on the edge putting it out here in this sermon, but I'm trying to give you examples. The deed was done publicly, and God let the person see it that needed to see it. Then that person struck up a conversation with Wendy. I kind of got out of there. I was like, okay, we've done what we need to do. We've eaten. Let's go home. 
Wendy stays and talks to him, and God opened up an opportunity for her to talk to that couple. And then they're reaching out to us on Facebook last night asking for sermons to watch, asking what our address is when we meet and all that. They have a church. We may or may not ever see them, but God had Wendy do that for that moment for that girl to bless her and her sister and for this other person to see. We've got to quit getting wrapped up in who all we think needs to see and let God choose that for us, okay? Is that clear? I'm giving two examples that I think very much drive home what Jesus is saying. This is not conflicting scripture. Do good deeds. You were made to do good deeds. You were designed to do good deeds. You don't get into heaven by your good deeds, right? Be clear. You're made for good deeds, but you're not made to go brag about them. And if you do, it's okay. You get attention. Congratulations. It'll be gone tomorrow. I want the reward in heaven. Okay? Now, you got to give me a minute. I have no idea where I am in my notes right now. <laughs> we'll go with this. Jesus is saying it's about your heart. You know, when he talks about don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets, he's really talking about the Pharisees. They treated people very harshly. But then when they did something good, they only did it good to go brag about themselves. And I think them blowing a trumpet in the synagogue would be a lot like me putting it out on Facebook. Or getting up here in front of you and bragging about it. Or putting it out on YouTube and bragging about it. Do your deeds with a good heart. Give privately and you get a reward from your Father in heaven. If you do it publicly to get attention, you will get attention. Everybody will think you're awesome, but it's the only reward you'll get. All right, you ready for the butt part? We talked about that earlier, that y'all are doing great. Are you ready for the butt part? Thank you. How many of you focused on this the whole time thinking about a person and situations? If all we do after I tell you you're doing a good job is sit and think about everybody that's doing this wrong, we've missed the point. Okay? Quit worrying about what the other person's doing. Let them get their attention reward. I'm trying to encourage you to understand the importance of why you're doing it in a good way. By the way, this is the but. This is really the but part. Some of us are doing really good and not bragging about our good deeds because we ain't doing good deeds. Some of us are bragging. I'm sorry, we're doing really good about not bragging about giving to people in need because we ain't giving squat. This is the tough part. The assumption Jesus had is that you were doing good deeds and you were giving. And some of us are so wrapped up in, I'm too busy with my family, with my life, with my job, with my business, with my problems, with my health, all the doctor's appointments, and you don't understand. I got to go here and I got to go do this. and all. Yeah, they all had these problems too. And then, man, that giving one's tough, right? Whew. I know some people that don't give anything to anybody, and all they talk about is their money problems and how they're saving up for their next gun or their next vacation. Jesus, it's, it's bigger than don't brag, guys. Jesus is saying you got to do good deeds, and you got to give. Okay? 
I know that burns a little bit. And I know it may be a little offensive, but I would rather offend you here today or watching on this video than have you stand in front of Jesus Christ and him say, I didn't know you because you didn't do the things I asked you to do. When you start serving others and looking for those opportunities, I'm going to promise you something. Your problems don't go away, but you get less focused on them because you start feeling really good about what you're doing for other people. And by the way, I didn't say that y'all aren't doing this, okay? I didn't say, because that's what Satan's going to do. We go from one extreme to the other, right? I encourage you, bless you. I encourage you tell you're doing a good job and then say, but are you doing a good job? And you all go, oh, crap, he doesn't think I'm doing enough. If you're serving, you're giving, you're doing good deeds, do not let Satan destroy that. Do not let him beat you up, okay? But I want to be challenged by this. I think I'm doing good deeds. I think I'm giving, but I want to be challenged. Am I doing what Jesus wants me to do? Am I doing the good deeds? Am I giving? And when I do it, am I doing it with the right heart, or am I doing it so I can brag to others? I think when you start helping people, Saturday's a perfect example. Show up and help these two girls move. Get out of your selfishness. But Saturday, that's my only day off. Yeah, I know. When you start giving to people, you can't help but get out of your selfishness. And I want to be clear. I didn't say you got to just give to a church. Jesus said give to people. Sometimes that people is your church, but sometimes it's another ministry or another church. You know, I heard a guy one time, and I'm going to give this example. He went to a church, and he tithed at that church, but he also tithed at another church in Nashville. And the pastor said, why are you tithing at two churches? And he said, because this church was instrumental in my growing up, and I want to keep giving to that, and now I'm at this church, so I want to give to this church. And you know what the pastor told him? You don't go to McDonald's and eat their food and then go pay Wendy's. And that's a sad statement. So I want to be clear. How many times have I talked about money in two years and four months of being a church? Okay? I don't remember once. <laughs> oh, this is the one. <laughs> this is not a giving sermon. That comes later in Matthew 6, so get ready, okay? <laughs> this is about are you giving to that person in need? Is there someone at your work? Is there someone in your neighborhood? Is there someone you work with that needs it? Is it your church? Is it another ministry that needs it? I've been very clear. I don't care who you give to. Just give. Right? I'm going to say it again. When you start serving regularly and you start giving regularly, you can't help but lose your selfishness. And that's what Jesus is asking you to do. Lose that desire to be noticed. Lose that desire for the attention. And I want to ask you a question. Do I stand up here every Sunday and tell you the good deeds I've done all week? Do I stand up here every Sunday and tell you who I give to or who the church gives to? No, but guess what? I used to. First of all, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have given a dime to anybody. And I probably didn't do a whole lot of good deeds unless I got something in return for it. But then maybe I read this scripture and Jesus started pricking my heart. And I started giving 
and doing good deeds. And then it was like, whoa, this actually feels good. And I have the spiritual gift of giving. This is kind of cool. And I feel real good about it. So then I start bragging to everybody. Then I read this scripture again, and you know how I point to something that's not there. You know how you read something one time, and you get part of it, and you read something again, you get a little bit more, and you read it for the 47th time, and it finally clicks, and you go, oh, crap, that's what I do. I give, and I'm generous with my time, but, man, I brag about it a lot. And Jesus is saying, I want you to have a good heart to serve. I want you to have a good heart to give, and I want you to have a better heart to not tell anybody. And that's tough. See, for me, telling you all the good things I did was mostly because I was rejected at the core, and I felt rejected, and it got me attention. So this has got many things to it. Do good things, give, and don't brag about it, okay? Come on, Marley, help me preach. So something that's been pointed out to me, and I'm going to go ahead and address it today. The fact that I don't talk about giving may insinuate we don't need giving. So maybe this sermon today is because Jesus is saying you need to give your church your churches in need. I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys. I've chosen over two years and four months not to cave to people giving money. We had two families that left this church because they said we invest too much in our youth. $820 a month went walking right out the door with them. But I will not stop what God told us to do. I don't care if we dwindle down to three people, and that's my family. So I want to be very clear on that. But what most people don't know is that you've got to pay the government to be a nonprofit. You've got to pay federal, state. You've got to pay lawyers. You've got to pay CPA fees. Just those alone, I just told you, are several thousand dollars a year. Okay? So I'm giving you a little precursor because we are coming to a money discussion that Jesus has given in Matthew 6, okay? So I want to be clear. Yes, I want you to give where God tells you to give, but doing what we do is not free. And some of y'all are excellent givers. I don't want you to feel guilty. If you're giving Please do not hear me say I need you to give more. I talked to a guy this week, and he said, you know what turned me off about the church I left? That's all he did was talk about money. And see, God kind of pricked my heart over the last month or two, and I've been scared to tell you because I'm so scared that you'll look at me like you looked at those other churches you left because all they talked about was giving. I don't talk about giving. So there's vulnerability. I have a fear, and I'm fighting it, okay? I don't want to be like those churches. But at the same time, God's kind of pricking my heart of, are you doing the right thing and teaching people the benefits of why you tithe, why you give? Again, I'm not sitting here with a tally sheet going, you better tell me if you're giving to your neighbor because I'll take that out of what you're supposed to be tithing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Bible, is it commands to give. And there's a lot of people that say, but Jesus doesn't talk about that in the New Testament. Yes, he does. Traditionally, it was 10%. Some people do more whatever. I don't care. Jesus was more impressed with the widow that gave her last coin. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. Think about two brothers in the Bible. They both gave to God, Cain and Abel. You think about Cain and Abel, one of them killed the other one, blah, blah, blah. They both gave an offering. Remember that? But one gave the first fruits. The other one gave what was left over. 
So that's the challenge. When you give, are you giving because I got a little bit left over this week, so I'm going to give? Or are you giving because you're saying, God, I'm going to give to you the first thing that comes in? Whether it's to our church, to another church. See, I'm not going to tell you. I'm gonna, it, it, church is not free, okay? It is, you know, it's kind of funny. You don't mind paying for Dollywood and for baseball games, and for the movies, and popcorn, overpriced popcorn, and all that, but then people don't give to a church. Man, the blessings you get from church should be a hundredfold what you get from that movie. That's a side note. The point is, I'm going to be the one pastor that says, you know what, if you want to eat at McDonald's and pay Wendy's, that's fine. I don't care. Just give. (laughs) Because I want you to be blessed And I want you to be known by Jesus for doing good deeds, for giving. Okay? Everybody good? (laughs) If you are a faithful giver, don't let false shame and guilt sit in. If you're not giving and you feel a little prick in your heart, that's called conviction. Give. (laughs) I really don't know where I am now. I'm actually at the end. Jesus says, do good deeds. Be a giver. Don't brag about it. That's kind of the end of this four verses, but I'm going to let this transition into something where I'm going to talk about the one. God has really, really, really put it on our hearts to never try to be big, to try to be different, and I want to give you some, I want to I brag on God for a minute. We all know those churches that don't think they're successful unless they grow. I was part of two of them, and they said things like, healthy things grow. And I'm like, tell that to a cancer patient or a very obese person. Not always, right? Sometimes maybe God wants to keep things small. There's a large church in town that most of you know, because I may have worked there, that's contemplating breaking up what they have and going to doing many, many, many small churches because they think they might have it wrong. I don't know where we stand, but I know before the Antichrist comes, there has to be a state of lawlessness. And I'm going to look at three neighboring countries. Canada, arresting pastors for having service, finding them and arresting them. Mexico, complete lawlessness driven by the drug cartel. Cuba, anybody watch the news this week? You got, uh, you got conservative Americans saying, bring the Cubans over here. We got some. We'll send your way for socialism. America, defund the police. Sheriff of L.A. County said, you want me to mandate mask again? I will not do it because you defunded my police. You see where I'm going, guys? I want you to take this seriously because I think we're at a time where everything we do is critical. I don't know. Jesus says nobody knows when he's coming back. Could it be tomorrow? Could it be six years from now? Could it be 500,000 years from now? We don't know. But I think it's important that we understand that everything we do can touch the one. Last week, many of y'all were at the gathering. Some of you weren't. Maybe you know the story. Maybe you don't. But as we're worshiping, I look over, and I see a guy in a van, and he's just sitting there smiling. And God said, go talk to him. And I had the argument with God, but God, I'm worshiping you. (laughs) Jason, you said you're getting out of your four walls to go do something. Go do something. I'll get to it in a minute. I'm still worshiping you, Lord. This is, you know, be honest. You guys have this internal discussion and battle. And finally, when I went, I said, I just want to come say hi to you. I didn't know what to say to him. 
And he said, I just, the Holy Spirit brought me here. And the Holy Spirit is all around here. Every time we've gone to the gathering at Smoker, there's been one person that's been affected. Every time. I'm afraid that sometimes we get caught up in, I'm not ministering to a hundred or fifty. What if God's giving you one person, each of you, this week? And you get that one person, you do what God wants you to do with it, and there's a scripture that says, when you do with the little he gives you, he'll trust you with much. And you start to realize, wow, if I touch each one he gives me every day, I'm getting 30 a month, 300 a year, 3,000 over 10 years. Okay? So I don't want you to lose focus of the one. Whoever that is this week, take the time when God puts that person in front of you. And yes, your pastor has to argue with God about how quickly I'm going to go do it. I know you do too. Wendy's real good at that. I'm not. I'm good at the one-on-one counseling and all that. She's real good at going and talking to strangers. So I know it's hard, but everything Jesus is asking us to do is hard. Okay? All right, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come here. Father, help us to take these words from Jesus seriously. I want to be known by Jesus. I want everyone in this room and who's watching this to be known by Jesus. Father, help us to get out of our selfishness and help us to get out of our hurt feelings when these hard messages hurt. Because sometimes we're so rejected or we're so shamed that we, we just let our feelings get hurt. Father, help us to have a heart to do what your son Jesus told us to do. He gave us the road map. We say we don't know what to do. Jesus says, I gave you the road map. (laughs) And with so many things in life, we still don't do it. So, God, I'm just asking you to prick everyone's heart in here today. First, I hope they know you. Just like Kaylin said, I hope they know you and I hope they've received you. And sometimes that's a process for us. It's not necessarily just a moment. It's a process. But, Father, I just pray that everybody's in that process and they're wanting to get to know you and they're wanting to get to be known by you. In Jesus' name, amen.